Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you that, Lord, that we would be your beloved. That just blows us away. Lord, especially since you know everything about us, everything we've ever done, things we've hidden from everyone else, you know it and you love us anyway. What a great and an awesome God. Not only do you love us, but you loved us so much you'd rather die than live without us. You sent your son to die in our place, and then, Lord, you want to spend eternity with us. You call us your treasured possession. Lord, we know that that's not because of how good we are, but how great you are, that that's true. So, Father, as we go to your word, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning. May we be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. Lord, to know you is to love you, so we want to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and grab a seat. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Just so you know that this happens to your pastor, I always have an idea what I think about how many verses I'm going to teach. But for, for your... Uh, By God's grace, I should say, when I get to a certain number of pages of notes, I know it's time to stop, or you will all run out of the building like it's on fire at some point. So, uh, my heart was to teach the rest of the letter, it's not going to happen, but that just means there's a lot in the text, amen, and it's in there for a reason, and you know, you get to words like sanctification and chosen and things like that, and you need to take a minute and talk about them, and we're going to do that. But let me just catch you up real quickly, because has First and Second Thessalonians been radical or what? I mean, looking at the end times and the rapture of the church, and, and it's so true, though, that you, know, you bring a visitor, you bring a friend, and you start talking about the second coming of Christ, and you know, the, the, the church being snatched away, and the Antichrist rising up, and you know, one of the ten horns, and coming out of you, people are like, these people are out of their minds. But here's the truth. It's in the Bible, isn't it? And it is true. And though the, the, you know, Hollywood has tried to make things look fancy, hey, the Bible is more radical than any other book ever written. And we need to pay attention to it, amen? Because our eternities hang in the balance. So the reason he wrote this second letter, if you'll remember real quickly, 1 Thessalonians was written to this brand new body of believers. He'd been there three weeks. He left and they had questions. And he heard that they had questions about their faith. They were struggling with some things, most specifically the rapture, because they thought that the Lord was coming soon, and that's the way we all ought to live, like He's coming soon, because He could come soon. And they were living that way, but then some of their family members and friends started dying, and they thought, wait a minute, what what happened to them? Because the rapture hasn't happened. They've died. Where do they go? And they were concerned, and they had questions. Plus, they were being persecuted by the idol idol worshipers that they lived in the midst of in this beach town that was very pagan. Now, while they were living there, while that was going on, Paul writes this letter back to encourage them, to tell them to keep it up, that they were doing well, to continue to stand fast in the faith. And then he clarifies their question about the rapture. He wants them to know that, you know what, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when the rapture comes, we're all going to be joined together, those who've already died and those who are still here on earth. And we will be with the Lord forever. Now, seven years, if you were here last week, if you weren't, grab the, grab the CD. We talked about the rapture. We talked about the Antichrist, who is a real human being. We talked about the false prophet. 
a, a, a man who will gather all the world's religions together after the rapture of the church. If, again, if you weren't here, what's going to happen just briefly is that we are going to be snatched away. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about the church being caught up in the sky, caught up in the air. So the rapture, we're caught up to him, and the second coming, we come back with him. And when the church disappears, we know the order of events, and that's why 2 Thessalonians was written, because now people were concerned in 2 Thessalonians that maybe they had been left behind, long before that book was ever written, okay? They thought maybe they had been left here because people were starting to say, hey, we're in the Great Tribulation. And there was so much persecution of Christians at the time, they started to believe it. Maybe we are. And maybe we missed the rapture. And so then someone showed up with a letter supposedly written by Paul that was a forgery that said, yeah, you're in the tribulation. And they started to panic. So then he wrote this letter to clarify things and to let them know, no, you're not in the great tribulation. No, the rapture has not taken place. It's not yet. And he told them there were things that would have to happen before the rapture of the church or before the Antichrist would come into play, that great day of the Lord. And what would have to happen is, one, there would have to be this falling away. The falling away. The word there is apostasy. Now, people could say since the beginning of time, there have been people falling away from God, right? This doesn't say a falling away. It says the falling away. And this is where I believe, after the rapture of the church, we're not here anymore. Holy Spirit is removed. We're taken away. Okay, the Holy Spirit is with them, but no longer in them on the, on the, the earth. And what happens then with all the Christians gone, that they're looking for answers. There's mayhem in the world. The economy goes sideways, and up comes this guy, the Antichrist, who's going to have all the answers. But in the midst of it, there's going to be one who works alongside him, maybe even not fully understanding that he is. But he's going to work alongside him, bringing all the world's religions together to, to ultimately, in the end, worship the Antichrist. It also says that that man will be revealed. But it won't happen until after the church is removed. If you were here last week, remember back in verse, it says there in verse 7. For the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who's the he there? That's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is removed, guess what? Where are we going to be? The Holy Spirit's inside of us. Holy Spirit's removed, so are we. Then it says in verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now this is why, and again, this is why we are not looking for the Antichrist, but Christ. Amen? Too many Christians today, and I count them brothers and sisters in Christ, are so caught up in every conspiracy coming down the pike and trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, they're so busy doing that that their next door neighbor hasn't heard the gospel yet. And you know what? That grieves my heart. We can start debating about when's he coming back. What, you know, and, and oh, I'm mid-trib. I'm pre-trib. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this millennium. I'm, you know, when I'm pan-trib, it's all going to pan out in the end. Amen? God's going to work it out. I know that, you know, I, there's not a doubt in my mind that we're not going to be here. But here's the point. Let's not be so worried and fighting over secondary issues that our next-door neighbor... Invite your next-door neighbor to the Greg Glory Crusade, the Harvest Crusade. Amen? Amen? That's what we need to be doing, not debating. I've seen, I've seen this in restaurants, Christians with eight Bibles out, going on a four-hour debate, you know, and everybody around them, their waitress, they're treating her rudely, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? You're trying to prove who's right about a secondary issue when people are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. And that's where our passion needs to be, amen? amen. 
Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Well, then he goes on to warn them, because remember last chapter, last week was very, some pretty heavy stuff. But he goes to tell them that the Antichrist will be revealed, and we know that it says the Lord will come back and consume him with his breath. You know, the Antichrist is going to think he's pretty awesome. Abomination and desolation, he's going to go into the, the temple that he's going to have rebuilt, I believe, on the, on the Mount, Temple Mount in Israel, right next to the Mo- Dome of the Rock. There's going to be a wall in between them. And ha- three and a half years in, after he's got all the people following him, he's going to proclaim himself to be God, the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks of, and then they're going to realize they've been duped. But that guy's going to think he's pretty awesome because he basically has the entire world following after him. And their armies are going to mount up, and they're going to mount up against Israel at that time, and it's going to be in the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, and that's when we're coming back with the Lord, and he's going to have all his weapons mounted up, and he's going to try to fight against God, and we know from that verse, God's going to breathe on him, and that's going to take care of it. You know, the world is so foolish to try to think that we're anything close to God. Amen? You are not God, nor will you ever be. Amen? Two things are undeniably true. There is a God and you're not Him. And so the point is that we can start to get puffed up and think we've arrived, that we've done something, that we're... Lord, we need to be humble and broken before Him. And I'm glad I'm going to heaven based on Him, not based on me. How about you? God is faithful and He's unchanging and He's perfect. Well, the rise of the Antichrist, this coming of the lawless one, it says there, in verse 9, will be with all power and signs and lying wonders. Who's the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he is the chief of liars he is a liar you know and you know what sin is pleasurable for a season and he will entice you away with things that in the end will bring forth destruction but that's what satan does you know what i i nothing makes me more aggravated than when i see kids with like pro satan t-shirts you ever seen this or somebody with a christian fish with horns on that thing it says the devil says satan have you ever seen that it's the grace of God, and I'm just, oh yeah, real, you know what I mean? Don't do that. You just want to survival to finish. Well, that's how that works out for you, right? No, don't do that. But you just want to pull up next to him with the light and go, what are you thinking? Oh yeah, Satan's cool. Uh, no, he's not. Nor is he ever going to be, amen? Because where he's going, it's not going to be cool at all. But here's the point. He wants to kill and destroy and maim. That's what he wants to do. This is Satan. And it says he's gonna, the Antichrist is going to have these powers that come from Satan. And people are going to follow him. And you know, it's so tragic to see some of the things that people are clamoring for today. Where the devil is basically being worshipped in the midst of all of it. By the way, if you've got teenagers and you haven't seen they sold their souls to rock and roll, ask us for a copy. It will absolutely blow your mind. Because Satan is at so much of the center of what's happening in rock music today. And again, there's Christian rock, so listen to that instead. But here's the thing. We've got all this unrighteous deception. We've got all this stuff from the enemy. And this is kind of how the last chapter ended, or the last study last week. And it says there, And they will all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A main difference. An unbeliever, when they sin can have pleasure in it and think nothing of it. When you're born again, every time you sin, you are convicted. That doesn't mean you don't continue in sin sometimes. It doesn't mean you get in, don't get in rebellion and just, just keep pressing in. But you're feeling the Holy Spirit head slap. You know what I'm talking about? Amen? 
You know, the, that's it right there for me. That's the Holy Spirit. You thought my hair fell out. It's just the Holy Spirit's been getting after me. But here's the thing. The Lord loves us enough to bring us back into right fellowship. Because he, those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. And so what, if you're just living an ungodly life and there's no conviction, you need to be saved. Because if you're saved, you will be convicted. And as you mature in your faith, the quicker you will be convicted. Now what I love about the Bible is there's so much balance to it. You don't see these you know, wild extremes all the way over to one end. The Word of God is so totally balanced. And I try when I share with you guys things to be as balanced as I can. And so what do we see at the end of verse 12? You got all this stuff. And now he's going to encourage them. He's telling them, the wicked, they're going to be condemned. They're going to be separated from God. The Antichrist is coming. It's going to be gnarly. But let me tell you about you guys. Here's what's going to happen to them. And that you, you need to know that so you can go out with great urgency and share with those people so they don't have to face it. Have a burden for them. He didn't share it with them so that they would know what they were going to face. He shared it with them so they could reach out to others so now we come to verse 13 and as we come here he's moving from the prophetic to the practical he's moving from the lies of satan and the unrighteous behavior to the blessings that come from god and the truth of the gospel and we must never take lightly the chasm between those who know god and those who do not in luke 16 there's a story of lazarus and the rich man you guys know that story and in that story, Lazarus was a beggar seated at the gates of the rich man's house, or his, whatever you would call it, palace, whatever it was. And every day, the, the rich man would go in and see this beggar there, and they both died. And you know what? This is not a parable. This is a, an actual story. You know why? You never see anybody's name used in a parable anywhere in the Bible. And it says, Lazarus, this is a real person, who's in heaven right now. Now, Lazarus is there and he looks across the great gulf and there's a chasm there and the rich man's over there in a place of torment. And he says, could Lazarus just dip his finger in some water and come put it on my tongue to bring me some relief? And the Lord says, he cannot come to you nor can you come to him. There's a great chasm that is fixed between you. You know what that chasm comes from? Sin. Guys, it's forever. It's real. And we need not take it lightly. But now he's going to encourage them that between sin separation and that eternal condemnation, at the same time, he's going to encourage them as to who they are in the Lord. How we respond to God makes all the difference in the world. Guys, nothing else matters when it gets right down to it. I've talked to you about living my life backwards. I think daily about being in heaven and looking back on my life and what things will really have mattered. What will really have mattered? And so often we're spending all our time on the stuff that will be chaff when we get to heaven. It's going to be, be meaningless. The things that we think are so important. Remember the things that you thought were important when you were five? You know, the teddy bear lost his button eye and you thought life was over. You know what I mean? And at the time for you, that was huge. But now you look back and go, well, whatever. Teddy bear. Get another one. You know what I mean? You know what? We got things right now that are like teddy bears compared to eternity. Amen? Amen. And we're living, well, oh man, it's so important, man. This is just what it's all about. No, it's not that big a deal. It's really not. What's important is how we impact eternity. 
So now we get to this portion, and he's going to, again, start to encourage them, right? Words of thanksgiving and encouragement as they are in the midst of these great trials. So I titled the message, Nothing But the Truth. Nothing But the Truth. Here's what he's going to start sharing with them the rest of the book. Nothing But the Truth. The truth of who God is. The truth of His grace. And the truth of His love for them. As born-again believers, it is the truth that must be our source of comfort, direction, and hope, not our circumstances or our worldly wisdom. Guys, if your happiness is based on your circumstances, you're not going to be happy very often. And if you are, hold on, because it's not going to last. Because the new car smell wears off, and you're going to get sick again, and things are going to happen, and you're going to have the jerk move next to you in the cubicle at work, and it's just going to happen, okay? And you can either see those as divine appointments placed by God that you might be a witness, or you can get bummed out. And the point is that we need to look at things from an eternal perspective. So in these next few verses, he's going to give practical instruction on salvation. And and the reason I'm going to spend so much time in these verses is when you start seeing the words that are in here, it's amazing. The two things I get questioned by you guys most about, outside of praying for family members and stuff, the two things, end times... And the sovereignty of God. Last week we looked at end times. This week we're looking in the next verses, the sovereignty of God. And those are two things people struggle with. Well, is it free will or is it sovereignty? Which is it? Do I make my own decisions or is God totally in control? Which is it? Hopefully when you walk out of here you realize it's not a which. Which one is it? It's both. Amen? God is in control and you have free will. So if you're taking notes, nothing but the truth... Every believer has four responses to the truth of God's word. We'll see three of them today and one of them next week. Number one, we need to believe the truth. We need to believe it. And that belief will impact our behavior. Number two, guard the truth. There's an exhortation for us living in the United States today. We need to guard the truth. Number three, we need to practice the truth. Believe the truth, guard the truth, practice the truth and then next week we'll look at sharing the truth and again this is key to again our relationship with the lord and how we are to live it in front of the world so let's begin in verse 13 looking at believe the truth nothing but the truth believe the truth and before we can do anything with the truth put it into practice share it with others we must believe it ourselves and these next two verses give the entire plan of salvation let's take a look But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Now, remember the previous verses said, And all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All the people that don't believe, they're condemned. All the people that rejected God, they're going to be just easy prey for the Antichrist. It's going to be heavy duty for the people that don't know God. And then, major shift. Look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you for you boy there's a radical difference in how and where we stand with God and how God responds to us he loves us all he loves all of mankind but we're not all his children by the way that's a theology that's theologically incorrect I people say well we're all God's children no we're not we're all he wants to adopt every one of us and adoption is available to every human being But not every human being will choose to be adopted into his family. It's a free gift. 
Now, the sad part is that the wrath is coming upon those who reject His grace, who reject His love, who reject His mercy, who want to be on the throne of their own life. I don't need God. I don't need Him. I don't want Him. And you know what? God is a loving, gracious God who will keep reaching out to them and keep reaching out to them and keep reaching out to them. But eventually, they will get what they desire. He says there, we are bound. The Greek word there is, we owe it as a debt. He's praying thanksgiving, with heart of thanksgiving, Paul for what God is doing in these believers in the midst of great tribu- or difficulty, not tribulation, but difficulty, persecution. And these are words of great encouragement, especially, again, when you realize what's going on around them. But even from some who would call them Christians, were they being persecuted? Remember that it wasn't just the idol worshippers persecuting them. Remember, it was also some who called themselves Christians who were telling them that the great tribulation had arrived. And again, the infighting, does that just grieve the heart of God or what? You know, I've got to the point now, I get these emails and stuff, I just, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore, I'm just done. I used to try to answer people back, and if, if they have a heart to really ask a question and want to have a real conversation, I will email a hundred people back. But if they're just trying to make a point and be vindictive, I'm done. Delete button. Because it's, it's not fruitful. Nothing good comes of it. I'm just going to have to write their name down, pray for them, and hit the delete button. Amen? Because it's just not good. You, you spend your wheels wasting your time. fight, And that's what was happening. And he's encouraging them that we give thanks to God always for you. We praise God for what He had done in you. They belong to the Lord. When was the last time you thanked God for the work He was doing in the life of another believer? Can I encourage you to start doing that? Can I encourage you to start praying for people in our church by name and thanking God for what He's doing in their lives? Start praying for family members and and other people that you know that are believers and start praying for them and thanking God for the work He's doing in their lives. You know what happens? Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And you'll be amazed when you start praying for other people by name and praising God for who they are in the Lord, you're going to love those people even more. It's supernatural what happens when you start praying for people. God does an incredible thing. And that's where Paul's heart is. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you. The word thanks, again, is to express gratitude. When we pray in this way, again, our love continues to grow toward those that we are praying for. Now let's take a look at the process of salvation. Look what he says. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. I'm going to give you a... Five things as well as we're going through this. Things that are true about you if you're a Christian. Do you know that you are loved by the Lord? I'm glad that the the beloved song was the fourth song and not the fifth song because I never could have got up here and taught during that song. I was undone. You ever think about how much God loves you? I'm your beloved. I'm your bride. I am your treasured possession. You would rather die than live without me? But Lord, you know how many times I blew it this week. Lord, you knew, you, you were there when I, I blew it with my family or when I blew it on my car, whatever. Lord, you know what would well, the thought that ran through my mind. I'm still your beloved. Yes, you are. I love you. We are loved by God. And it's incredible to know that the creator of the universe loves us and he loves us unconditionally. But look, it says there, brethren, beloved by the Lord. It says, because God, because God, 
from the beginning chose you for salvation. From the beginning, God chose you. Okay, now we're going to get a headache. From the beginning. Now, when's that? Here's my answer. I don't know. Okay, God, where was God 500 trillion years ago? Well, he was there, right? Well, where was he before that? Well, he was there. So where's the beginning? Well, with God, there isn't one. He always has been. Now, there was a beginning of creation of this world that we live in. So before the beginning of that, for sure, before the beginning of that time, he chose us to be saved. So 6,000 plus years ago, before you had a clue, God chose you to be saved. Oh, see, God's sovereign. He's in control. That's it. There it is. Yes, He is. He's sovereign. He's in control. And He chose you. And aren't you glad? Amen. Amen? He chose you. This isn't like getting chosen last for dodgeball. This is good stuff. We got chosen. And I don't care if He chose me last. Just choose me. Amen? Now, I like the fact that He chose me before the beginning of the world because maybe if He would gotten to know me a little bit, He might have passed. Amen? But he chose us before the foundation of the world, which would make you start to think, well, that means that I don't really have a choice if he chose me, because then it was already, the decision was already made because he chose me. These are the headaches, right? Is God sovereign? Absolutely. And yet I have people argue with me all the time that it's either free will or sovereignty. You've got to pick one. Why? Because you don't understand how they can both be true? Aren't you glad it's not your level of understanding that makes things true or not true? Our God is so much greater than us that this is nothing to Him. And we got our little finite minds. I I give the analogy. It's like trying to explain astrophysics to an ant. Him trying to explain stuff to us sometimes. Amen? Just like, you know, He's like, just trust me. I'm God. Amen? And I can be totally in control and give you free will as we're going to look and we continue through this. So there are those who say that Man is nothing more than a a pre-programmed robot because right here it says he chose you and if he chose you for salvation, then you had no say in it and if you had no say in it, then God chose some for salvation and he predestined others for hell and that's it. And you're either going to heaven or hell based on whether or not God chose you and there's nothing you can do about it. Many people believe that way. And I'm going to tell you why I don't in a minute and I'm going to also tell you why I think that it's tragic for people who do. Listen to this. If you are one of God's elect, according to the Reformed theology point of view, you will not be able to resist His grace. So in a sense, God clubbed you over the head and drug you home and you're His and that's all there is to it. You had nothing to say about it. I'm not exaggerating. I'll tell you why they believe that and, that, and there's a part of the reason why they believe that that, that I understand. If you're not one of his elect, you never had any chance of being saved, but you were predetermined for hell with no chance of escape. Does that sound like our God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's my biggest struggle with Calvinism and Reformed theology, is that it teaches a God that is not the God of the Bible. He's no longer a God of love and grace and mercy. He's a God who predetermines some for hell, predetermines others for heaven, and gives you no say... Now again... I understand why, and let me tell you why. 
At the heart of it is often the desire to take no credit for what God has done. And I understand that. Amen? I don't want to take credit for what God has done. Because what people will say then, as we start to say we have, a, a, we have free will, then somehow we're the ones saving ourselves because we're the ones who responded. And so then we can be arrogant that we responded. But you know what I found to be true? And if you're here and you are of the reform or Calvinistic view, I love you guys. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a non-essential, okay? It absolutely is. You're welcome here. We love you. It's all right. We can agree to disagree. But let me say this, and I'm sure you're not in this camp, but most of the people that come at me with a Calvinistic point of view, who are trying to convert me to that perspective, are very arrogant and have very little joy. And one of the reasons is, is the view of God that is taken. Now, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. It's not true of everybody that, okay? We got some people in this church that I know believe in that, that are, have a, a great amount of joy, and I love them to death, okay? So it's not everyone. But the problem is that then, again, it's man is not responsible at all. Man has nothing to do with it. Again, did we pay the price? No. Could we pay the price? Absolutely not. But can we reject his grace? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And we need not come to a place where we think that God's going to just force it on me or I'm not going to get it and it's got nothing to do with me. Listen to this. The Reformed or Calvinistic view is flawed and I believe it changes the nature of God because it says He only died for some. You can't go up to somebody if you believe in Reformed theology and say, Jesus died for you. You have to say, if you're one of the elect, Jesus died for you. Read the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word elect anywhere in that verse. And the reason that it gets messed up is in Romans 7, 8, 9, the elect there is Israel. They make that the church. And that's where all their problems come from. Here's the point. If you believe that or not, God's still God of grace. He's going to love you anyway. Amen? But my concern is that we not fall into a trap because what happens often again is people of that point of view are more concerned about making Christians into Calvinists than they are making unbelievers into Christians. It's a fact. Not all of them, okay? Let's make it very clear. Not all of them, just some. For God so loves the world, He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Now wait a minute. If He desires that none should perish, no, not one, and He's the one making all the decisions, and we have no say, then we're all going to heaven, right? Wouldn't that be true? He desires none should perish, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. But you've got to balance it with all of Scripture. If you hold to a, that view again, we love you. Now the other view, it can be just as warped. I think we're having a theology class this morning. You have Calvinism on this extreme, and you have Armenian theology on this extreme. Calvinism says it's all God, you got nothing to do with it. He makes the decisions, it's all done. He's sovereign in every way, in which I believe that, of course. And then Armenian theology says it's completely, totally free will. And you know what? You can lose your salvation and be in and out of salvation. And God's really nothing more in a certain sense than an innocent bystander. He's just kind of over here watching and free will goes wild and whatever happens is going to happen. Neither one of those is true. God is totally in control and I have free will. But how can I have free will if God 
chose me before the foundation of the world, how do I have free will? Because God knew what you were going to choose. Amen? Amen? Amen. How is that hard? He said, stars, boom, stars. So I'm thinking he can figure out and know what we're going to do before we do it. Amen? Amen. If he didn't know what you were going to do before you did it, he wouldn't be all-knowing. Right? He's omniscience, which means all-knowing. If God could learn anything, he's not all-knowing. He can't learn anything, which means he knows everything. Amen? Amen. I had a headache before, right? (laughs) But it's true. This is the God that we serve. He chose you for salvation. He chose you. What a great and awesome God we serve. But you know what happens? There are entire denominations and entire sets of peoples that I grew up in the Baptist church. Praise God for the Baptist church. I got saved in the Baptist church. But I remember free will Baptists on that corner, Reformed Baptists on that corner. We believe we have free will. We believe God did it all. Well, we're not going to talk to you anymore, right? And that's, that's wrong. Guys, do you know that we're all going to get some of our theology fixed when we get to heaven? Is that true or not? You think you got it all figured out? Read some verses on pride then, amen? The truth is that we need to be humble and be one beggar leading another beggar to the bread and realize we've all got a lot to learn. And be gracious and be loving and be merciful one to another. But God is sovereign. Man does have free will. And we're going to see that as we continue on. So God loved them. They were beloved by the Lord just as God loves you, not based on your works, but based on His grace. They were beloved and He had chosen them. I'll give you one guess what the word beloved was back there. What do you think it is? In Greek, it's agape. Which means a selfless love. Someone who loves someone outside of itself more than itself. And the ultimate picture of that, of course, is our Savior. For God so agape the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He knows you, everything about you, and He loves you anyway. You may have come here today feeling guilty, like your life is a bit of a mess. You know what? Join the club. Because all of us are a mess without Jesus. Amen? And just know that the the church is not a police station, but a hospital where every one of us comes to be healed. Amen? So from the beginning, He chose you for salvation. Long before the world existed, God chose you. Now the word chosen there is actually the Greek word for adopted. He adopted you. You know, you know what I love about this word adopted? In the original language, that word adopted meant the type of adoption where if you adopted them, you could never disown them. You could disown your own kids born in your family, but you couldn't disown a kid you adopted. So guess what? God will never disown you. Isn't that good? Well, what if I just totally blow it? He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Amen? But God does love you, and He's a gracious God. The word there for salvation is to be morally or physically rescued. Did you need to be rescued or what? Big time. And our God rescued each and every one of us that has been saved. But now watch this. Look what it starts to say. God not only loved them and chose them, but He set them apart. And how did He do that? He says, salvation through sanctification. What does that word mean? It means set apart to God. 
When you are saved, when you confess Christ as Savior, you are justified. These are just theological terms, but let me make it clear. Justified, just as if I never sinned. Justified, right? So when you were born again, you were justified. You're going to heaven. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'll never be disowned. He's adopted you into His family. Now you are in the process of being sanctified. What does that mean? I'm being conformed more and more into the image of my Savior. I'm being set apart from the world and unto God. Do I take an active role in that? Yes, you do. Is the Holy Spirit the one who gives you the ability to do it? Yes. But do you take an active role in being saved? Are you being proactive in your sanctification? We're going to see it as we continue on the verse that absolutely it's true. Now we know this too, that we're justified, we're being sanctified, but one day we're going to be glorified. And that's heaven. And we're going to see that as we continue on through these verses. God set them apart. How can we live a life separated from the world and unto God? Look what it says. Sanctified by the Spirit. The only way we can be sanctified is if the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. Amen? You can't do it on your own. The Bible says without Him we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. What does the Holy Spirit do? Two things that the Holy Spirit does in Scripture, main things that it talks about Him doing in the life of the believer. What are they? Dum, 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 no. He comforts us and He convicts us. Amen? He convicts us of sin. He draws us back into fellowship. And He comforts us in times of difficulty. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what He does. Now, we are sanctified by the Spirit. He comforts us. And He convicts us. He convicts us when we sin. And that transformation happens as the Holy Spirit is moving upon our hearts. It's not good works that produce transformation. It's transformation that produces good works. You understand that? You're not getting so good that now you're acceptable to God. You start walking with God and you start living like Him. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. And you know, we should be living lives so sold out for God that that people should be able to look at us and not, we're not Jesus, but they should be able to see Jesus in us. Amen? What's different about you? It's, it's Jesus. That's what's different. I'm a born-again new creation in Christ. It's that inward transformation that changes my outward behavior. It's not the source of salvation, but the fruit of it. A sanctified life is impossible apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But look what it says next. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So are we taking a proactive role in our sanctification? And belief in the truth. Belief in the Word of God. Belief in Jesus Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and our responding by believing. He gives us the faith to believe, but we respond and say, yes, I do believe. I believe, Lord. He draws us unto salvation, because without conviction, there could be no conversion, right? If the Holy Spirit didn't open your eyes and make you see you were a sinner, you'd never see a need for a Savior, amen? And He loves you enough to bring conviction. But here's the sad part. I believe He convicts all of mankind to varying degrees about their sin, but most choose to ignore it. Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being with you. What do they call that? Your conscience, right? How does the most ungodly person on the planet know that certain things are wrong? 
the Holy Spirit with them. Otherwise, the Bible says we're, we're evil, we're, we're wicked above all things, perverse and wicked above all things, right? Isn't that what the Bible says about us? I didn't come to church for that, perverse and wicked above all things. I knew I needed God, but perverse and wicked above all things? Thanks a lot. There are plenty of churches in town that will not tell you perverse and wicked above all things. They'll tell you how wonderful you are and, and you won't grow spiritually because that's a lie. Amen? Amen. Any good in me is Him. Amen? Amen? He does it. He gets all the glory. But again, I need to respond. He draws us unto salvation. Now it says this. It's, it's the work of the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing between bone and marrow, judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the Holy Spirit plus the Word that draws us, convicts us, and reveals the truth to us. How would we know the truth when we're convicted if we didn't have the Word to show us? Right? We could be convicted and start chanting to the moon god. And people in town do that. We need to pray for them, amen? We need to pray for them. we got people worshiping everything under the sun in Santa Cruz, and they need to be worshiping the sun, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N, amen? And the the point is that we can be convicted, but if there's not the truth in our hands that we can open up and understand that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, It's this word that reveals truth to us when we're convicted. Amen? Amen. So we need the spirit, but we also need to have belief in the truth. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's a legitimate offer offered to every man. And people would say, well, if you don't come, you're not the elect. No. I would say, if you don't come, you're not thirsty. Amen? If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They're not thirsty because they see, don't see their need for a drink. You know, it's interesting. We're to be salt and light, aren't we? Our lifestyles ought to make other people thirsty for what we have. Amen? They ought to see Jesus in us and thirst for it. The reason people don't come is they see no need for a Savior. God chose. God convicts. God reaches out. We must respond. Salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. God is not going to hogtie you in the corner and force salvation on you. He's not going to do that. That is not the God of the Bible. Amen? Amen. So, what do we need to do? Well, we need to recognize we're sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. That's what you need to do. If you've never done that, Let let today be the day of salvation. Verse 14. Belief in the truth to which He called you. Here we go. Here's another word. Here's another theological word. The call for salvation comes through what? Look what it says. He called you by what? Our gospel. How were people called into salvation? Paul and Silas and Timothy came to Thessalonica. They preached the gospel with great boldness. The people heard it. They responded and they got saved. Guys, well, God, God's going to call them. He'll, he'll get the message to them. We're to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, aren't we? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? And so if the, re, the way that they receive that, that calling 
He called you by our gospel. First Corinthians says this. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after a sign, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Guys, the answer for no matter what your nationality, background, struggle, trial, difficulty, whatever you're going through, the answer is Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel, and that's what we need to hear, and that's what we need to respond to. You don't join a club, you don't join a church, you don't join an organization. You fall on your face before Him and you say, Lord, forgive me, and He will every single time. What a great God we serve. And not only will He forgive you, then He'll come alongside you and He'll walk with you and He'll help you the rest of the way as you abide in Him. God knows who will respond to the gospel and He knows who will not, but it doesn't mean that He forces either one of those things to happen. Again, Scripture says God calls all people unto Himself, but not everyone responds. Let's move on. He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, how do we end up being glorified? We're justified in Christ. And grace results in glory. When we respond to God's grace, the end result's going to be glory. And not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done. That's what grace is. God riches at Christ's expense. And so he, has, he is the one who's chosen us. He is the one who has called us. And He is the one, again, through whom we will obtain to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It gives me a headache that He knows every sin I've ever committed. Every one of them. He knows all. He knows the ones I'm going to commit. And He knew it before He chose me. And He chose me anyway. And then he is going to let me be glorified in heaven and I'm going to be as my Savior as I'm not going to be the Savior, I'm not going to be God or anything close to it, but we're going to be in the glorified state like our Savior. And we'll know as we are known and we'll be in heaven forever ruling and reigning with him. Wow! And what did I do to deserve that? Nothing! Amen? But I can reject it. God saves and He calls through the gospel. Guys, we simply deliver the gospel to the lost. We are awaiting Christ's return. And then His glory will be revealed. It says in 1 John, We know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, and we will see Him as He is. Man, I can't wait for that. We're going to see Jesus as He is. And it's going to be the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus. Amen? And we're going to see him, and we're going to be with him forever and ever. Like I said, golden asphalt, you know, gold's going to be asphalt in heaven. We're not going to be checking out the gold in heaven. I'm convinced of that. We don't go outside and, ooh, look at the asphalt. We don't do that. And in heaven, we're not going to be going, ooh, look at the gold. You know why? Because Jesus is going to be there. And I got my eyes one direction. How about you? Amen? I, you know what? I, can care. I don't care if the place is rubble. If Jesus is there, that's where I want to be. How about you? Amen? But God is a loving God, and He's preparing a wonderful place for us. A couple more verses here. Therefore, brethren, in light of the fact, in light of the fact that He's chosen us, in light of the fact that He loves us, He set us apart, He's called us, we're going to be glorified with Him one day. In light of the fact that we believe in the truth, we need to guard it. Look what He says. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. 
and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. When he says hold fast to the traditions, he's not talking about man-made traditions. He's saying, what does he say? Let's finish the sentence. Which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. He's saying you hold fast to the word of God is what he's telling them. We've got too many people in the world today holding fast to traditions of men. We need to take all the traditions of men and throw them in the garbage. It's the word of God that we follow after. Amen? It's interesting, if you weren't here Wednesday, Micah, in the text in Judges 17, makes a bunch of idols. And he makes idols with money that his mom gave him to represent Jehovah. And that way he felt like he was closer to Jehovah God because he had idols he could look at and worship Jehovah. And the Lord says that's breaking the first and second commandment. Isn't it interesting today that we got all these churches with icons and pictures of Jesus that they're worshiping. And the reason they do that is their own walk with God has deteriorated to the point that they can't just have intimate fellowship with him. They need some likeness to look at. We don't need a likeness. We got the Savior. We got the Holy Spirit. Why would you be kissing a piece of wood with somebody's rendering of Jesus when you can have intimate fellowship with Him? Let's not make that mistake. Those are man-made traditions, amen? We don't hold on to those things. We hold on to our Savior. And we hold on to the Word. One of the enemy's greatest tactics, and we're almost done. Here's what he says. Did God really say? That's his favorite, by the way. He plays a one-tune record. Did God really say? I don't think God said. Oh, God didn't say that. Oh, God, God didn't mean you, right? Isn't that what he whispers in your ear when you're about to sin? Well, God didn't mean you. You know, he knows. You know, come on. It's all right. It's 2006. Come on. He'll forgive you anyway. Ever heard that one? About every day, right? He'll forgive you anyway. Go ahead. It's not a big deal. You'll still go to heaven. But you'll blow your testimony. And your heart will be gripped when you sin against your Savior. And it will hurt, won't it? And you'll grieve Him and it will break your heart. And that's what the enemy wants to do. God works through the truth of His Word and Satan opposes it by substituting it with lies. And His favorite places to do it often are in places that call themselves churches. What's the easiest way to get people away from the truth? Give them something close to the truth. If he showed up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and said, come follow me to hell, I don't think we'd be going. (laughs) Just thinking, right? But if he had a really nice church building and a bunch of people there were having potlucks and handing out nice stuff and and then teaching you're going to be God of your own planet one day, well, that sounds pretty good, (laughs) right? That's what the enemy does. He takes the Word of God and he adds to it or he takes away from it. Guys, we don't add to the Word of God and we don't take away from it. Amen. At all. Amen? Amen. Don't, it's God's Word. He alone is the, is the author of it. Now let me say this. It's 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,175 verses, 810,697 words, 3,568,489 letters, and Jesus said, For as surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Every letter is God. And you know what? I know we're running over, but you're used to that by now. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am gripped by all these new translations of Bibles coming out. You know what? Get a translation, not somebody's idea of what the Bible ought to be. 
Instead of them telling you what they think it ought to mean in our modern day language, why don't we just get what it does mean in the, the language it was written in and let the Holy Spirit reveal it to us. Amen. Amen? Amen? Give you an example. If you have a Bible called the message, if you have a Bible called the message, come, I'll trade you a, a new King James version for it and make kindling out of that thing. Let me tell you why. In the New King James Version, the, the word Lord is in the Bible 7,970 times. In the, in the message, it's 71 times. In the King James Version of the Bible, the, word, the, the words the Lord Jesus Christ are in there 118 times. In the message, they're in there zero times. The word Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus 118 times, the Lord Jesus Christ 84 times. In the message, zero times. You know what's happening? It's an ecumenical Bible trying to make no one be offended. Let's dial it all down, take these offensive words out like Lord and cross and things out of the Bible. That's not a Bible anymore. You know what happens when you change the words to make it more comfortable for us? It's trying to make us more comfortable in our sin. Isn't that what it's doing? We don't need that. And I know that people are going to get upset, but I, I just told you, I'll trade you. Give me that kindling. I'll give you a good Bible right over there. Straight up right now. Amen. You don't need that. So we need to believe the truth, guard the truth and practice the truth. Look what he says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who loved us has given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You know what's awesome? We believe the truth. We guard the truth. And now it's time for us to practice it. And he says there that he is with us to comfort our hearts, to establish you in every good work. And I love this. The word comfort there is where we get the word for the Holy Spirit. It's the same word that, w- that we use for Holy Spirit, the comforter. He goes with us. And then the word for establish is stereza, where we get the word steroids, which means when you walk with God, he makes you strong. Amen. He strengthens you. He holds you up in his righteous right hand. That is the God that we serve. Comfort your hearts. Comfort your hearts to know that the Lord is with you. He's establishing you. He's rooting you. He's grounding you. And our belief should absolutely impact our behavior. Amen? Amen. So in closing, nothing but the truth. Believe the truth. You can't just know about it. You need to believe it. True belief will impact behavior. Number two, guard the truth. Let's not water it down. Let's not make substitutes for it. Let's not put things in its place. Let's not carry around Bibles that aren't really Bibles. Amen? Now again, if you have some paraphrased Bibles you like to read, that's fine. Just know in your heart that that's what it is. But some of them, by the way, today's NIV, same deal. It takes all of the, it it makes it gender, what's the word, neutral. So our Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Parent. What is that? Well, we're just trying to make sure that no one's offended. You know what? The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. When you read the Bible, it ought to be piercing our hearts. Amen? Cutting between the bone and marrow. So believe the truth, guard the truth, and practice it. And the next week, we'll talk about sharing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you chose us. We thank you that you've adopted us, accepted us, redeemed us, forgiven us, Lord. What a great and awesome God we serve. But Lord, I pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you. 
The Lord is the offer of salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. Lord, if there's even one person here today, I pray they would not walk out of here not knowing you. Lord, it's not your heart that anybody join a club or even join Calvary Chapel. That's not what it's about at all. But Lord, by divine appointment, you brought everybody here today. Your word says today is the day of salvation. And so Lord, it's simply coming to a place of confessing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. If there's anybody here at all, and that's your heart, that you want to know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, that Jesus Christ died in your place, but now that you can accept that free gift, that His Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you, and you know that He'll walk with you the rest of your life. Doesn't mean you won't have difficult times, but you'll never be alone again. If that's your desire, to know for sure you're going to heaven, I'm not, again, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than Just say a simple prayer. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never made a public confession, do it now. If that's your heart, that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray a simple prayer with you. Is there anybody at all? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you guys. How will you know if you're chosen? If you respond to his offer of grace right now. Anybody else? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for these that have raised their hands, Lord, that as we go this last worship song, that they would come on up, we'd be able to pray with them, Lord, and they make that commitment to you. If there's anybody else here, Lord, that even if they didn't raise their hand, that they would take the time to come up and, Lord, just bolt, as you hung on a cross for us, You hung before a jeering crowd for us. Lord, may we be able to stand for a cheering one for you. And we not be ashamed of you, Lord. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, we're going to close in a worship song. And if it's your desire to give your life to the Lord and, and, and just ask him to come into your life as we sing, just come on up. Pastor Dan and I will be over here and we'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. Let's stand and close the worship song.